Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from the Psalms. Psalm chapter 67. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our way. We are to guard the good words that have been entrusted to us. We are to follow that pattern of sound words. We are to watch our life and we are to watch our doctrine. And today, Lord, as we consider the teaching of your word from Psalm 67, we see that we have marching orders. And we acknowledge that we walk in the path of the one who has walked before us, the one who has set the stage, who has finished the work, and has caused us now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be finishing that work in time and space and history. The one who has set and fulfilled salvation is the one who now releases us with the good news of the gospel. Lord, we pray today that as you teach to us from this wonderful hymn, Psalm 67, that the words of this hymn would become inscribed on our hearts, that we would be a people who find ourselves inescapably joyful to be on mission for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are halfway, over halfway through the year. 2022 is hard to believe it's over halfway done. We are the first Sunday in the month of July, which seems to me a good time for us to remember and go all the way back to the beginning of the year 2022 and rehearse together afresh the mission of this local congregation. Uh, those of you who have been a part of this body from its inception some 10 plus now years ago, you know that it has been our tradition in January to take an aspect of our mission and to rehearse it together, to remind us why it is that we actually do this, this thing called worship, why we get together, why we spend time like this, uh, why we go to Sunday schools, why we have home fellowship groups, 
uh, why we go on mission together, why we care for one another and the needs of this body. And the, and the reason is we do that every January because we forget it. And I would venture to say we could do it every July because we, well, we forget it. And so it's important as we begin this series that's in line and in keeping with one very important aspect of our mission together as a congregation, just to remind ourselves of, of why we're here. Our mission as a church is in keeping with what we believe to be the large vision of God for His church in the Word. Beautifully, the Lord doesn't call each and every church to be creative in the sense that we come up with a brand new mission that no one else has ever thought of in the world, and we are wholly unique unto it. No, the wonderful thing is God is so wise that He doesn't entrust such things to us. He actually inscribes in his word what he wants us to do, and he calls us into it, but we have to be reminded. And what this local congregation understands God's word to be calling us to is a four-pronged vision of worship, of fellowship, of discipleship, and mission. Those four things. And the way that we language it here at Cornerstone, for those of you longtime members, this will be old hat, but for those of you who are new among us, maybe this will be helpful. We language it this way. We exist to glorify God in the gospel together as disciples who make disciples. That's really what we're called to be. And if you can hear in that, in those, in that one sentence, you hear worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. Listen to those first few words, to glorify God in the gospel. We believe that to be our first and foremost chief aim as a congregation is to worship the Lord and to do so in and around the message of the good news of the redeeming love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's why every week as we come here, we rehearse the truths of the gospel as we study the scripture. We believe it's so important. Martin Luther, you know, said it years ago that we are so forgetful that we have to come back every week in the gospel. And when we hear it anew, it's as if we've never heard it before. And he says a minister should be about beating the message of the gospel into the hearts and the lives of God's people. Now, I hope it doesn't feel abusive in that way when you're listening to me. But I think his point is it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to lose it. Is that we need it literally beat into us needed, we might say, like leaven into a, dump of, uh, a, a lump of dough, uh, into that b beautiful imagery that we could begin to take and see the wonder of God's glorious grace each week as we gather together in worship. So we want to glorify God together in the gospel, but then notice we want to do it. In life is not a it's not a solo project. It's a communal project. We've been called together corporately. Now, when you hear the word corporate, you might think, you know, you're CEO, or maybe you are that CEO. You may think of corporate America. It may ring in some kind of negative or business-like language for you, but the word corporate just means body. It comes from the word corpus. We are a body, um, and we are to be together in the way that a hand is connected to an, to an arm, and the way that an arm is connected to a shoulder, that the lifeblood of one another actually runs with and in one another as we gather together, as we live together as a family of God. We glorify God in the gospel together as worshipers, but we do it together in sweet fellowship. But we're also going somewhere. We glorify God in the gospel together as disciples. That word disciple is connected to the word discipline. You know, when you're in the discipline of something, you're trying to be shaped by that thing. You want to be formed in the direction of something. We want to be formed in the direction of Christ-likeness. 
We would love it to be your testimony if you were with us since the beginning of Cornerstone that you are, by God's grace, through this body as he works within us, more like Christ today than you were 10 years ago. And that there's evident fruit of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, being on mission for Christ, um, putting to death sin, living under righteousness. It may be incremental. It probably always will be. You may inch forward. It may feel like, you know, one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back. But as we like to say and remind ourselves, it's not the perfection of your walk, it's the direction of your walk. It's that you get up as you stumble, and when you stumble, you stumble forward. And we help pick each other up along the way. We glorify God in the gospel together as disciples, and then notice who make disciples. That's the mission piece, that we are about multiplication. It's not an optional part of the Christian life. Now, some of us in this room think, oh, this is one of those mission sermons. I can check out that some other people in this room. No. All of us as Christians are sent by the Lord Jesus Christ into the world for the purpose of making his name known. All of us. Jesus says to the disciples in John 17, I have been sent by the Father, and so I am sending you. He sent us on mission. And what we're seeking to do in these psalms that we look together is to recognize and renew our own commitment to the call of the Lord on our life. That we will worship Him, we will do so in fellowship together as those who are honing our own walk in Christ as His disciples, but we're looking to our neighbors and the nations. We want to see the glory and the fame of Christ's name multiplied in all of the earth until His glory encompasses the world as the waters compass the sea. That's what we want to see. And so I think Psalm 67 is, a, is, is probably a no better place to begin this series because the psalmist is so full of the missionary drive that we are actually invited into today and to live according to as his people. I want you to see firstly in this text our missionary call. Our missionary call. And we'll camp out in large part in just a few verses of this text Verses 1 and 2 specifically, look at it with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth and that your saving power might be known among all the nations. Now this unnamed psalmist I want you to catch right there at the beginning of Psalm 67 is filled with a missionary desire. Notice the way that he puts it. He examines and identifies his own heart, and more than anything in his life, he says he wants that God's way might be known upon the earth. That's what he wants. That's where his heart is. That God's way would be known upon the earth. Maybe you're asking yourself, what what does that mean? What does it mean for God's way to be known in all the earth? Well, the Psalms very often unpack and clarify with each of the couplets. And often the parallel statements in the Psalms go back and pick up threads of what's been said before. It's why the Psalms often repeat themselves as they work their way through. We see that a good bit in Psalm 67. So if you could ask it this way, verse, verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 2 there, that your way may be known on the earth. What is your way, O psalmist? What are you speaking of here? Your saving power among all the nations. That's the way he wants us to know. 
The way he wants us to know is the saving power of God among all the nations. And what's remarkable about that is this is his desire. This is, this is what he understands as mission one that the Lord has placed upon his life. And he wants to see the glory of the Lord throughout all the earth. Now, but not only do we see that he has this desire, I want you to see that he has a devotion. And those are different. If you notice this, you have desires and they come and they go, right? I mean, one of my prayers for this morning is that you would be and that I would be inflamed in desire to see the nations come to know Christ. But then you're going to get hungry and start desiring lunch. And you're going to forget about the nations. It's not going to be on the forefront of your, your mind. And, and what we need is desire to move into devotion, to move into a staid and steady commitment, to not be here today and gone tomorrow, but have a permanence about it. Notice the way that he puts it, verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And you may be saying, oh, I like that. The Lord bless me. Give me a new car. Give me a, a new house. Make my way smooth on the earth. Fix the relationship fractures right now in my marriage and in my family. When we think of blessings, we often go straight there, don't we? We go straight to the earthly things. In fact, some of us, aren't we guilty of this? We're like, we're gonna, oh, I'm going to have my devotion today. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray. And really in the back of our minds, we, this, we wouldn't say this, but in the back of our minds we go, because I want my life to go well. And interestingly, we approach God with ourselves in view. You, you, don't you love when that friend of yours calls you? And you see their name pop up on your phone and you go, he wants something. And then, then you just warm the cockles of your heart when you see that name pop up. Just the person you only hear from them like when it's like, hey, buddy, um, how are you doing? Can I borrow your ladder? Right? Yes, of course, you can, you can borrow my ladder. Now, when you only have a, a usury relationship, it doesn't create intimacy, does it? Does it create closeness? No, notice that when he says, Lord, I want you to bless, bless us. I want you to be gracious to us. I want your face to shine upon us. What's his purpose? That your way may be known in all of the earth. That your saving power might be known to all the nations. Notice his, his call down for blessing has nothing to do with him. Boy, that's a radical what would that be like to ask for the Lord's blessing because you have the conversion of the nations in view? You would say to yourself, there's no way, and some of you are saying this even now, there's no way that my Muslim neighbor could ever come to know the Lord. There's no way that that person on the other end of the political spectrum could ever see things the way that they ought to see and truly come to know the Lord, whatever that is for you. The ways that you've categorized certain people. And there's no way that I could do that in order for that to happen. Well, you're right. And the psalmist knows that. He says, Lord, unless your grace fall, unless your blessing fall, unless your face is shining upon me, I'm not going to be able to go do what it is that you've called me to do in any effective way. But if your grace and your blessing should fall upon me, I want to you to use that reality as a means by which to make much of yourself. 
in and through me through changed lives. I love the spirit of the psalmist here in verses 1 and 2. And I love the fact that he's borrowing very deeply on fundamental passages in the scripture. Don't you hear the echo of the Abrahamic covenant in this text? In Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3, when God came to Abraham and he made a covenant with him, notice what he said. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that people will think you're awesome. No. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And notice, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you hear mission? It's as if the psalmist is taking up the covenant promises of Abraham and praying them back to the Lord and saying, what you've already promised to do, do, and do it in me, do it in us. But don't you also hear something of the ironic benediction in this passage too? In Numbers chapter 6, listen to the words of that first priest, Aaron, when he says this to the people of Israel, the Lord Bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a marvelous, marvelous thing we're seeing here of the psalmist is the psalmist is saying, if we're going to be used by the Lord for the advance of his kingdom, we're going to need to step in line with what he's already promised. We're going to need to trust him for what he's already said. And we're going to need to seek his face in order that we might have the shine of it, the glory of it, the favor of it toward us. I love the fact that psychologists like to make the note that 80 to 90% of our communication with one another is nonverbal. You you recognize the truth of this, don't you, when, when you're... Your friend or your spouse who you can just kind of tell by looking at their face that they're, they're not doing so well. And, and you know how it comes. You, you say to them, how are you? And they respond, fine. <laughs> and you're like, well, you don't, you, don't, you don't seem fine. Like it seems like there's something wrong. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Husbands, she's not fine. Okay, pick pick up what she's putting down right there. Okay, she's not she's she's not fine, and you know that she's she's not fine because early in the marriage you believed her, (laughs) and it did not go well for you. Right? Oh, you believe the nonverbals. You believe the face. You believe what the face says to you, and in some sense, the Lord here is is connecting. The word and the expression. He's connecting the, the word and the, and the face. This picture of relationship and blessing. That you, you pick up the favor on the face. Don't you love seeing someone's shining face coming towards you? Someone with a countenance that just lightens and encourages you? Isn't that a, isn't that a blessing to you? When we think of a face shining towards us, don't you think of welcome? Don't you think of of care? Don't you think of love? Don't you think of the heart's passion 
of Moses when he longed to see the face of God? He longed to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. Do you think of his face as he's coming down from gathering the Ten Commandments from the very hand of God and his face is shining because he's been in the presence of the Lord? Lord, I need your presence. I need an intimate, powerful encounter with you if I'm going to be used for your glory among my neighbors and among the nations. It's it's a marvelous thing. That he's calling to us to have a kind of missionary call that takes seriously the promises of the word. That we are those who know his promises and know him intimately. So as to trace his hand as if by faith to glimpse the shiningness of his face. You know what this means? It means that we need to be equipped. Fundamentally, if we're going to be witness bearers of Christ, we've got to know his scriptures. And we've got to know how to talk about it with others. We've got to know the word. The the word evangelism means good news. It's something to be shared about what God has done. We've got to know how to share that. We've got to know how to talk about the person of Jesus Christ, his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, him taking the charge of our sin on the cross and paying the penalty Of that sin. For the wages of sin is death. And then on the third day. Resurrecting from the grave. Defeating our greatest enemy. Sin and death. Was there ever a a greater validation. That Jesus had finished the work. Than he got up out of the grave on the third day. You know we got a people all over the world. Who are seeking for joy in the things of this earth. And they aren't finding it. And the expiration date where they'll breathe their last is quickly approaching. And we have been entrusted, as we were told earlier in this text, or in the worship service, with the ministry of reconciliation. We've got to know the word to be able to share what we know that the world is looking for. And to do so in a heart that loves them and is compelled by the story of the gospel. We do actually have to have transformed lives. That's a part of what's being described here too. We've got to know the word, but we've got to have the work of God freshly at work in our lives. If you're not walking with the Lord and you're trying to share the faith and your walk is out of accord with that which you're sharing, that doesn't present a compelling witness. And so we need his shining face. We need to walk with him, be be intimate with him, that the transformed life alongside the word, would be a part of our strong witness for Jesus in our times. I love the way John Stott said it, even commenting on this particular psalm. He says, It may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life of the saving power of God. Rightly may we pray for ourselves that we may have God's blessing and mercy in the light of His face. Not that we may monopolize His grace and bask in the sunshine of His favor, but that others may see in us blessing and may see in us His beauty and be drawn to Him through us. Now when Stott says that, he's really only uh, channeling the words of Jesus, isn't he, in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus says, you are, speaking of you, church, the light of the world. Notice, a city set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. If you are the church, the city set on a hill, it's not as if, hey, don't hide. He says, you can't be. You can't be hidden. I've put you in a place where you are to be made visible. For for what reason? That as you let your light shine before others, they might see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Wouldn't you love to be asked the question, I see something so radically different in you. Blessing and peace and love and care and sacrifice with a smile on your face. What's different about you? Wouldn't you love to be asked that question? Wouldn't you love that your life would be so distinguished by the character of Jesus Christ that it provokes that question in those who are around you? I remember years ago working at Morgan Brothers Millwork in the thriving metropolis of Laurel, Mississippi. And as I was there stacking baseboards in the, in the shop, having one of the workers come to me and say, why are you so joyful? And he was kind of ticked off about it a little bit. You could just sort of tell. And, and you know, looking back on it, it just amazes me. And, and so I, I, you know, here, you know, professional evangelist here, I, I turn to him and I say, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right? You have those moments, right? Right? It may have happened this week. It may, it may have happened in that conversation with that that person, and, and you didn't seize on the opportunity to steer the conversation towards spiritual matters, towards Jesus, towards the gospel. We want to let our light shine so well before others that they can't help but know that what's going on with us has nothing to do with us. It has to come from outside of the world by a gracious intervention so that we can say, Let me tell you about Jesus. This is our missionary call. This is what the Lord has called us to. Now, what I want to do in just, if you can, you see it, you see the missionary call. What I want to do is pause for a second. And secondly, I want to just apply this for a minute because we we need the application. We need to sit in this for a minute. I want to look with you at three obstacles to answering our missionary call. Okay, for those of you who are new with us here at Cornerstone, it's very typical um, for us to work verse by verse through a, through a text and spend a lot of time in the text itself. We've, we just did that in verses you know, 1 and 2. Some of you are like, he's only done two verses. And uh, yes, that's true. But it's okay. It's all right. We're not going to get to it all. Um, but we do need to apply what it is that we've learned a little bit. And I think by Looking at the obstacles that keep us from doing what it is that God's called us to do will help us move forward as we work through these sermons through the book of July, through the month of July. And the first obstacle I want to look at with you is the fear of man. The fear of man. I, I, I not too long ago heard a sermon from uh, Rick Phillips, who's a minister in our uh, denomination. He serves at Second. Uh, Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. He was actually telling a bit of a story on him on himself, 
He was telling of the time in which he lived across the street from a a Jewish man, a a practicing uh, Jew, one who denied the Messiahship of Jesus uh, Christ, was not a follower of Christ. He had gotten to know him in what he called the the sort of mailbox conversation relationship, right? He would go out to the mailbox and had probably engaged, you know, watering the yard or whatever for, you know, 20, 25, 30, 30 different times over the course of a couple of years. And then one day, he's there at the proverbial mailbox, and, and the man says to him, Hey, aren't you that preacher of the big church uh, downtown on, on the boulevard? And he says, Well, yeah, yes, I, I, I am. And, and isn't it an evangelical congregation, like it believes in the gospel of, of Jesus Christ? Well, well, yes, it is. And the Jewish man, get this, the Jewish man said, Were you ever going to evangelize me? Insert knife into the soul. (laughs) Immediate conviction, right? Came over him. And here is a a Jewish unbeliever who um, doesn't profess faith in Christ, who's engaging regularly with an evangelical minister who has never mentioned Christ to him. Now, the reality is when we tell a story like that, it it's, it strikes really close to home, if we're honest. I mean, how many conversations, how many people do you know, could be at work, could be in your neighborhood, who wouldn't be able to say, that person is a Christian? There's either nothing distinguishable about you, or there's no conversation that they've had over the course of years that you've lived right next door, for them to have any sense That you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe just doing a little soul work and asking yourself the question, we're halfway through 2022, who have you witnessed to at all this year? Okay, what about last year? What about the year before? Do you hear the silence? It's called conviction. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. We've been called to declare His praise. The redeeming message of Jesus Christ. When you get good news, when you have your first news of a grandchild, when you hear it, Do you sit on it? You pick up the phone. You tell everyone that you you know. When when he or she is born, you show them the pictures. We've been given news much greater than the birth of a grandchild. And far too often out of fear, we'll say things like, Oh, I just don't have a good enough relationship with them. Oh, I'm still working on the relationship to be able to share the gospel. I've been working on it now for... 15 years to to get to the point of sharing the gospel with them, right? And it's really evasive. We're really avoiding. And really what it is is we are afraid of men. We're afraid of men. Now, for some of you, and I I want to receive this. Well, easy for you to say, Pastor, we pay you to share the gospel, right? (laughs) Right? Easy for you to say, right? Well, guilty as charged. 
couple of weeks ago, I was having a wonderful conversation with a waitress in an hour-long uh, lunch, and, and I lingered afterwards to stay, and there were some open doors, and I didn't take them. I, I didn't take them. Do we believe this is our mission? Are we on mission? Are we alive to the call of God on our lives? Are we afraid of taking a holy risk of a potential temporal offense because we see eternal realities? You see, if we just pander in the temporal and we don't consider the eternal realities, we can't obviously be said that we really love others with the love that has been shed abroad in our hearts, apparently, by the power of the Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that really leads us to our second obstacle here, is fear of man. But the second thing is truly lack of love for others. That really is the case, isn't it? It's the sadder reality. I was actually struck by this too, just, and again, do not want to, not seeking here to stir up anything when I note these political matters, but I do find that we, this is where we keep each other at bay and we don't, we put each other in categories and we don't love each other well. But we rejoiced last Sunday and prayed and thanked the Lord for the reversal of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We're grateful. We're grateful that the potential protection of thousands, even millions of babies in the womb has been made available in the U.S. Praise the Lord for that. And then as I read, as many of you read, the outrage of the other side of this particular piece. Some of you may be in this room and identify in such a way. I don't know. And find in my heart a little anger, frustration, in some sense, understandably, but in another sense, not. And I ask you, did your heart, as you read those things, melt for those who disagree with you? That they would know Jesus. They would know the dignity and value of all human beings at all stages of life. Did, did, it, did it melt for them? Did you love them? Or did you just want them to go away? Shut up. How often is that our spirit? We just came through a month where multicolored flags were waving. Is that an obstacle to you sharing the gospel or is it an opportunity? Are these people just so different from you? You're, you're, you're not like them. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got your stuff together, right? Listen, my friends, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you voted. I don't care what position you're in. We need, the, we need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity is in the play. Are you going to allow a, a, a political moment to keep you from opening up your heart to someone who might be eternally lost? Do you see, you know what Jesus did is that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He did not say, as soon as you moan to you the riches of my salvation, while you rebelled against him, while you defied him, while you disobeyed everything that he called you to, he reached out to you in love. That's what he did. Do you see, when that sort of love begins to get inside of you, 
that radically changes the way that you engage with everyone around you. You begin to define in biblical terms rather than in cultural and temporal terms. You begin to see the enduring issues. I was struck this week. I got the privilege to see Pete Peterson's wonderful theatrical adaptation of The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, a classic that I'm sure a number of you in this room have, have read. And listen, if you get the chance to go see it, please go see it. I do not receive a commission for encouraging that or anything like that. It's a marvelous, marvelous theatrical performance. One of the things I was, I was touched by in the, in the performance was uh, Corey, who is um, uh, a, 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 a Holland family alongside with her parents hiding Jews during the whole reign of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime to watch the relationship between Corey and her sister Betsy. Um, when they were in the concentration camp, after they had been found out that they were, they were keeping Jews and they sent them to the concentration camp, Corey's heart increasingly became hard towards the Germans. But Betsy stayed soft. And Betsy kept saying to Corey, Corey will only be by love that they will know him. It will not be in thinking that you are so different then that they will will somehow win them. It will only be when we learn to love as we have been loved. To To the God who we hated, who loved us and has made us His own. Only till then will we actually be the kind of compelling witness that we're called to be for the Lord. Do you see? That's it. Some of you are going, oh, you mean love like German soldiers who are are killing you? They're our enemies. Well, praise the Lord. God says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Therein is a compelling witness. Therein is the love of the Lord, shining abroad in our hearts, transforming us, and making a compelling work for the gospel. This is what we need to pray for, my friends. We need to pray for this kind of heart to be in us and in the church at large in our day. We are those who are fearful of men. We are those who just do not love others in the way that we ought to love them. And thirdly, We have little faith that God will work. This is another major obstacle, isn't it? The truth is, gospel sharing is discouraging uh, work. It was just a couple of years ago, I I pulled up Facebook and I I was reading a report of one of our former interns of another church had served in a few years ago and learned that he left the faith. A young man that we'd spent hours and hours and hours pouring into. Heartbreaking, it's discouraging work. It's hard to measure the impact, to know if anything's actually happening. Sharing the gospel will undoubtedly um, lead to dismissive and indifferent responses. There will be people who will not want to be with you and speak to you again. And, and increasingly might be hostile. That's to be expected, Jesus said. When Jesus actually unfolds the parable of the soils, for instance, in, in, the, in the Gospels, we, we learn that there are going to be a variety of responses. There are seeds that fall on the hard soil, and the, the birds of the air eat it up. There are those that fall on the thorny soil, and the cares of the world ultimately choke it, choke it out. And uh, there, there, are, there are all of these different responses that are going to come, but there's a good soil. 
And, and the good soil is controlled and conditioned and plowed up and maintained by the Lord of the harvest. Do you see, he has, he has set his love upon people throughout the world from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. And these people will be harvested for the work of the gospel. They will become, as his chosen people, called to proclaim his excellencies. They, that is out there. That's assured. You have a sure harvest. And Jesus says, I want you to know that the fields are white. They're, they're white with harvest. What I ask you to do is pray that more laborers would enter. You know, that would be my prayer of today, that maybe one or two or three of you would enter the, the field and would begin to share the truth of the gospel of, of Christ. Uh, Jesus says he will work. The Spirit will work. We can trust him. We see by the end of the book of Revelation, don't we, where the bridegroom watches the bride come down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, beautifully adorned with every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. That is the future. It's certain. It's now. Breaking in even upon us. And you see the psalmist, don't you? He sees this. Notice verses 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you see the hope here? If you see the call of the missionary, you see the obstacles to answering the call, but you see the hope that's there at the end. If you knew that the earth will yield a harvest, a picture of the kingdom, and we who labor do not labor in vain and don't grow weary in the laboring, that in time a fruitful harvest of righteousness, the writers tell us, will be for the glory of Christ brought about and survives and sustains and thrives throughout all eternity. To know that that's true means that you have a reason to believe that every time that you labor for a kingdom initiative, you have reason to believe it's meaningful, it's purposeful, it will bear fruit. You may or may not see it. You may not be the fruit you're looking for. But it will bear fruit. The Lord will not waste the labors of his people in his vineyard for his purpose. He will not. Therefore, notice, God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I love how the end of this psalm Mirrors the beginning where it says, may God bless us. And then by the end, God shall bless us. Do you sometimes experience that as you're praying or as you're singing? You start out kind of, yes, I hope that you might do something. And then you, you move your way through as you're reading the scripture. And you're like, no, wait, you've promised this. Like, this is going to be true. Like, and all of a sudden, the future realities that are certain begin dawning upon your heart now and assure you in grace. That's happening to the psalmist here. It moves from may to shall. You shall bless us. I see the harvest. And there's no way the harvest would come in if you've not blessed us. And our prayer is that the Lord would indeed do that. I was listening this morning to... Um, some, some hymns, which I sometimes do on Sunday morning. I'll just put on some hymns to encourage my heart as I'm preparing and praying for our services. And one of the hymns that, that came through 
this morning was how sweet and awful is the place, or how sweet and awesome is the place. And you remember that, that stanza? We long to see thy churches full, that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. Is that your heartbeat? Is that your heartbeat? That you long to see the churches full, that all the chosen race would with one heart and soul and voice sing thy redeeming grace. By God's grace, we will see the fruit of Psalm 67 increasingly in our time until the time where we see it in full at Jesus' return. By God's grace, he will use us to that end. Let's pray toward it now. Father in heaven, we need your help. There are no amount of, there's no amount of explanation. There are no amount of words. There are no amount of, of, of application that can in any way change a human heart to become those who are from mute to speakers, from those who are disobedient to obedient, to those who would move from darkness to light. But should you come, we couldn't help but see those changes. Should the wind of the Spirit blow through this place and through our hearts, we would become ambassadors for you. A city on a hill will not be hidden. Lord, don't allow us to try to hide, to put a lamp under a basket. No, we want it to be spread abroad. Would you cause us, in the love that we've been loved by, to love others in the message of your love, by sharing it, by loving and pursuing mercifully their hearts, and entrusting all the outcome to you, the Lord of the harvest. Oh, Lord, would you please hear this prayer. In the way that only you know how, would you answer it? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.